Steve so Chapman, I'm ready when you are. Uh, Good so evening. Is, is, is it echoing? It's Lauren. Oh, Lauren is echoing. Good evening, Good evening everyone, and welcome to our Human Resources Committee. It is October 18th, and we will start with roll call. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Chapman. Here. Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee Bouquet is going to be a little bit late, but he will be here, and we do have a quorum. Thank you. So do we have any public comment, Ronna? We have no public comment. All right. With that, we will move into our agenda. Um, uh, we Our last meeting was July 19, 2023, so we want to, um, and that is actually included in the packet, we want to approve the minutes. Any questions about them? Any comments? I move that we approve the minutes. They're moved and second. Can we do uh, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Our next item on the agenda is the information discussion, our HR dashboard and organizational learning and effectiveness. And that's uh, Arlene, are you? I'm here. Good evening, yeah, everyone. I was going to say, I'm trying to focus, my eyes are trying to focus, Arlene, sorry. <laughs> but hello and welcome. We'll turn it over to you for our HR dashboard and organizational learning and effectiveness. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, and if I can just note for the record that Trustee Bouquet is here. Sorry to interrupt, Arlene. Sure. Uh, so uh, let's see, we're going to pull the dashboard up in a moment. So before we begin, we have some uh, a, a couple of introductions, but I did want to say at the outset that um, we have, you'll see a, a, a one or two improvements on our dashboard, especially related to recruitment. So we're happy to share that. And so it is my pleasure to introduce to you Elizabeth Camarina, who's our Interim Director of Recruitment Services. Uh, Liz has significant experience in healthcare leadership and is a generalist, but has um, significant experience in recruitment as well. So she joined our team in July of this year, and uh, we had several opportunities to look at areas of improvement for our recruitment services. And I think that we have made some headway in that regard. And so I will, without further ado, turn it to Liz for uh, discussion of the first two metrics. Well, thank you. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Arlene. Um, one of the most significant um, indicators that we have was our time to fill. Uh, we were successful implementing new initiatives that resulted in a positive improvement. We were able to reduce um, the number of days from the previous quarter by 10 days. Um, and this was primarily due to the streamlining that we did in our onboarding process, retraining of the staff. Uh, that enabled us to do a steady process in the processing of the new hires uh, and an improvement from the previous quarter. Any questions on that? No, great job reducing it. Thank you. Um, the next indicator was uh, time to onboard employees. Uh, and this indicator, we do have um, kind of an interesting dynamic where uh, some of the factors that were not 
enabling us to uh, reduce it primarily was volume and also our ability to receive the responses from local and state agencies when we do queries on background. Uh, so in this indicator, we stay pretty much on, on the same level that we did the previous quarter. Uh, and one of the things that we would like to consider uh, we, we would like to ask the committee to consider is if there's a possibility for us to revisit the target. Um, 19 days is aggressive given the external factors that impact this indicator. And we are recommending uh, from 19 days to 21 days a target um, moving forward. And um, like I said, primarily due to the external factors that sometimes are outside of our control. Yes. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I wanted to know for the first one, time to fill, is the target uh, 51, do you think it's uh, aggressive or do you think from the uh, improvements made with the new tra the training of the staff that is achievable? Um, I think it's achievable, but a more realistic um, indicator for an organization as complex as the one we have would be around 55 days. If I was to make a recommendation, I think 55 days is definitely something that will really make uh, an, an improvement in the area and will also allow us to achieve the, the target. And then Liz, for the um, time to onboard employees, uh, I would think 21 days would be acceptable. We have to talk to our, you know, our committee and our, our board to make sure it's okay. But is that because of, of maybe background checks or people having to give notices? What what is what's included in that twenty one days? Uh, included in that twenty one days is um, the employee health screening, the responses from the background. And it is not so much uh, employees um, resigning and giving us that time. It is primarily the queries from the local agencies and the responses on the multiple counties that sometimes we have to do. I see. But yes. Do you see any variance among subgroups uh, within this? So for example, are nurses a longer time to fill versus EBS versus other classifications. So by subgroup classification, have you guys done that? We have not um, as part of this um, dashboard, but I can tell you based on experience, yes, definitely the nursing are hard to fill positions in comparison to administrative areas and even areas of ancillary support. Um, yeah, so the, the nursing and are one of the ones that will definitely impact these time to fill indicators. Yeah, maybe as a as a as, as the roll up to this big TNM item, it might be you know subgroup analysis might be that, and maybe that's where we put a lot of energies on the outliers. Yeah, just wondering. Hmm. Yeah, we we have the capability of doing that analysis. Absolutely. Maybe before we make a decision about changing the the target. We look at the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, having stretch goals are always good. Yeah. yeah. And you may already be there on everyone except. Because yeah. we're talking two business days, 21 to 19. Mm -hmm. Or is that 21 days total or, or business days? They are business days. Okay, those are business days. 
There are business days, yes. Okay, thank you, Liz. Thank you. So I think Karen's gonna take us through the next dashboard, right, Karen, and the rest of them. Um, uh, it's, yeah, except for the workers' comp and stuff. But the next part of the dashboard is the residents of Alameda County, how many of our uh, applicants this last quarter, how many of our new hires, and how many of our current employees uh, actually reside in Alameda County. And the applicants, we have 44% of our applicants uh, reside in Alameda County, and that has gone down from 50. Um, the new hires uh, are steady at 53%, and our current employees are also uh, steady at 60%. So uh, those are the employees, the applicants, and the new hires that are residing in Alameda County. Is there any questions? No. Yeah. And then I think Greg's going to do the workers' comp and uh, information, I believe. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. So I'm really happy to see my green arrows going down. <laughs> <laughs> Let me start with that. So uh, we were able to reduce lost days below our goal of 3.4 down to 3.28. And What's what contributed to that, I think, really are just our ongoing efforts to return people back to work as soon as possible following an injury in order to lower that date. I also think that what we're doing during our monthly operational meetings has created greater awareness around workers' comp injuries. And I see Mark in the audience. So, Mark, thank you for your, your efforts around that. I appreciate that. So the next indicator was number of workers, workers' comp injuries, which has also been reduced to below our goal of 65 to 56. And again, I think the work we're doing in the monthly operational meetings, what it does is just create greater awareness at the managerial level around injuries, how we can learn from each particular injury and take those learnings going forward. And what I'm seeing is a nice reduction in, in number of injuries overall. So it's it's a really nice development for this first quarter. Any questions? Question. Yes, we have a question for you, Greg. Yeah, thanks, Greg, for that presentation. So same theme of question. Um, do we have a feel for where these injuries occur mostly? If I had to guess, I'd say it's on the clinical service, a nurse moving a patient or what have you. but do we do we have it down at, to that kind of feel? Where have we bent the curve the most? Because that's pretty impressive what you've done. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I think where we typically see our injuries is really in the nursing units and specifically at Highland where, where most of our staff resides. Um, have I we think, stratified it like that? Well, say more about that what, when you say stratified. Like, do we know that six, 50 of the 56 injuries were on a nursing unit, six were from engineering, et cetera? Do we know that? We, we do know that. We actually do get uh, re reporting from beta that breaks it down to that level. And there actually is a slide later that shows, uh, it's part of Lorna's report that shows injury types in terms of 
injury causes and how they're broken down over the past quarter. So we can we can certainly share that with the group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would just be interesting if we found out that most of the injuries were on seven on, on the seventh floor of Highland or on the third floor of San Leandro. So those kind of questions. We okay. We all. We discussed that. Okay. And I think the PO sharing is also helpful for learning from each other, too. Mm -hmm. uh, regarding the, the workman's comp injuries and the workman's comp uh, lost days, does this account for contract staff as well as in-house staff? No, it does not, because contract staff are not covered by our workers' comp program. So we don't, we don't have that data. So if we are, I mean, I, I feel like memory serves, we have less contractors working over the summer, but if there was, you know, maybe the contractors are taking the heavier cases and the more injury prone, how do we like, even though it's not our insurance, it does feel relevant to consider. I mean, I'm curious how we can still maybe get reporting on that. Is there a way to actually get that type of reporting, Greg? That's a good question because the process is that we would, for any contractor, they're reporting it back to their particular employer or agency that they work through. So we're, we're not necessarily tracking that data. Um, I'd have to go back and take a look at how we might try tracking that. I, I haven't had an opportunity to do that. I, I think to trustee Esteen's question, I think the board cares about injuries in our workplace. And, and I know we have great data on workers' comp, but just knowing total injuries, because that would be curious if there were 30%, I'm making up a number, unreported because it, it was through a contract mechanism. Uh, trustee Bouquet and trustee Esteen, our contracts have provision in them that Maybe we could just ask them for that data yeah. for the people we've contracted and then put that into a, you know, a roll up and then, you know, our own people have this account for 75% of, uh, of workers comp injuries contractors account for 25%. It'd just be interesting because our goal is to make a safe work environment for anyone who's here. I think, which I think, yeah, I think everyone agrees on that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not like it's a liability. That, it would be nice to have, it might be a little more difficult to get yeah. because of HIPAA and, and you know, and we're, even though, even though they may not be given names of people, you know, you kind of know who's here. So a contractor, if we have a contractor and we know five employees, you know, have been here and two are not here anymore, then we could pretty much assume that those two might be ones got injured. So it would be nice to and check, Greg, if you could check and see, and then just let us know. Yeah, Mark? And, yeah, and, and Greg, it, it could be kind of easy, maybe, that the nurse manager or the manager of the area reports just the status of the person, um, not their name, just the status and the area they're from and what the injury was. That's simply all you would need. Well, I would just offer the daily huddle reports track all injuries and they don't differentiate between contractor or employee. And so 
the data may exist. It may be a matter of compiling it, or at least on a going forward basis, looking because I read the daily huddle reports every day and it shows when there's an injury and it doesn't say contractor or employee, it just says there was an injury. Oh, so I, I think see. there's a source for this and whether we want to go retrospective or whether we just want to perhaps from this point forward, forward yeah. but yeah. we can get this relatively easily based on the daily huddle report. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for, for that, James. I think that's a good source to go to. We can also look at our buyer report, which compromises most of our um, contract employees, which is our biggest vendor for all, most of the nursing and bedside care. But we have a lot of ancillary you know, contracts as well, but more on the administrative, but we can definitely contact buyer as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, the next page of the dashboard is about turnover. So the top part is uh, system turnover. The bottom section is nursing turnover. We also like the green arrows. <laughs> so for uh, this current uh, quarter that we um, finished, our annualized system turnover was 11.46%. Um, and our goal is 17%. That was adjusted um, last year. Um, our first year turnover is annualized at 25% and our second year turnover is annualized at 15%. Um, our top uh, reasons are resignation. Uh, we do have uh, 20 people that were let go because of non-compliance to HR policies. And we had 10 with disciplinary actions. Uh, we had nine that failed probation. So um, those were the top reasons uh, that we we had four of these people leaving. Um, and under nursing, uh, we did have a, a nice uh, decrease as well. 9.82% is annualized. Um, and for first year, it's 28.83%. And second year turnover is annualized at 8.76%. Um, again, the top term reasons resignation was 23 people. Um, HR noncompliance, five. Disciplinary action, three. And failing probation is two. So uh, those are both under our new updated uh, goal. Um, any questions? Karen, um, last I recall, I mean, it's great to see the, the turnover rates coming down. Congratulations, because I think it was 12.2. So does that 11.1 represent another percent drop for us? Yes. I'm not sure what number you're referring to. I'm sorry. I think, I think it was last fiscal year. We were at about 12.2. And I'm not sure you mentioned end of year. I'm not sure which year it is. But I do recall a 12.2 figure. And now I'm hearing 11 point something. So it's great to see the decline. I'm just trying to track the reductions in my head over time. Yeah, I think the 12% that we may have had before was um, is for the AIP goals. And that was for the whole year. The whole fiscal year this is just this quarter but it's annualized so really the turnover was 2.86 percent times four quarters so we are annualizing those numbers okay, so um, you think so, july august september yeah annualized it yeah as if that was if that was the rate that was going to continue on uh it would have been an 11.46 percent turnover rate annualized right. well but to Mr. Fratsky's point, uh, which is a good one, contextualizing any data is always really important for us. And, and I guess to steal from the quality committee meetings, 
we have sort of like a run line so you can see which direction. We love green. Thank you guys for presenting green. But contextualizing the green versus like last year, this is definitely better than, uh, you know, two years ago, right, Lauren, or a year ago. So uh, please let your team take the benefit of watching that trend line go down. So maybe in that green column, we can maybe spread it out and, you know, make a little trend line down. Okay. Okay. Get some, get some credit for what you're doing. We'll take yes. it. <laughs> and I see there in your, the, the way you set it up, um, Karen, it says annualized, then it has quarterly as well. So. Yeah, because it's not the real, you know, it's not right. the real annualized number. Like as Mark said, the real number was for last fiscal year was the 12%. Um, this is looking at each quarter and then saying if that was, were to continue through the year. So we're just multiplying that times four to get an annualized rate. Um, yes. And then the quality dashboards, we report monthly to them as well. Um, and we report year to date turnover as well to them. Karen, in terms of my, what we might expect at the end of the year, um, if we go quarter by quarter by quarter over, over the, historically, do you see any quarter with a significant drop or increase or can we expect given our history stability over the next three months well, that's a good question seasonality right yeah yeah well um the biggest blip what we would see is the residents coming and going and so we exclude them from our turnover numbers because they they we know that they're going to leave we know that we have a big group a cohort coming in every every june july so we don't include the residents because that would cause a big blip in the numbers for july um, I think we did see some pretty big numbers a while ago back with COVID um, and also with um, when we put in the uh, Epic, we had a big retirement group for both of those. But we've been doing pretty uh, consistent with our terminations right now and our numbers are staying pretty good. Um, so I would hope that they would stay at this rate. The first year and second year turnover, uh, the first year turnover is, is a bit of a concern. Uh, continues to be a concern because it's sitting at 25 percent. That's was what my question was going to be one out of four after all the onboarding. But it's a, it, I do want to highlight for the group that it used to be 40 percent. Right. So give yourself <laughs> so, a pat so on the back. So thank you for remembering oh, that, that's right. right? And that, that is really helpful. And that's where a run rate helps yeah. helps this data because you're right. You, your team is it was like 40 percent. Yeah. So that's. Less than half already. Yeah. yeah. So congratulations really, to you all. Really, really happy to see the eight to nine percent missing rate, given that we're trying to decrease travelers. Yeah. If we can retain our own, it's so much better. And where we've been, yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah. Green yeah. is great. Okay, so this is the exit interview dashboard, and um, this is for the same quarter, July to September. Um, the top high <laughs> is the reasons that people have given that for leaving and the big blue section is work-life balance, which we've been seeing um, a bit of. Uh, the orange is career, environment management, uh, retirement. So retirement um, in this case is not the biggest piece of the pie. It uh, looks like work-life balance is probably the biggest piece. Um, the bottom section is how people rate the organization as they're leaving. And uh, over three quarters of that pie, the light blue, the dark blue, the orange are all favorable. They're good, excellent, and very good. So people that are leaving still think the organization or they're rating the organization high, um, even though they're leaving. So that, you know, that's just 
not an issue with the organization so much as just a personal situation with an employee that they have to move on because of work-life balance or a change in career um, or they're retiring. And then the chart to the left, the big blocks, that's how they rate their job. And so again, the top three large boxes are all favorable um, and the two below are fair and poor. And so the majority of people are also rating their jobs well. Um, and then just as a reminder, this dashboard is adjustable. It's out on our, our HR division drive. Um, and you this dashboard can be adjusted to look at just one hospital, one cost center, um, one union. Um, and so these numbers adjust as we um, filter the dashboard. Um, and currently we have about a 45% response rate on our exit interviews. And Karen, I was like uh, fortunate to be on a session when you were showing some of these dashboards to our inclusion consultants and you can splice and dice it by gender, age and other things too, you know, but the folks who are leaving more to That's great, Mark. Um, Karen, some of the categories are really broad. Work-life balance, is it possible to sub develop subcodes to gain more intelligence in, what, in terms of what work-life balance means? Um, well, the- um, maybe, maybe some of the other broader categories as well. Yeah, we've um, talked to, we use the, a company called the Work Institute, and we've asked them to tailor those reasons more to us, but they don't do that because they're benchmarking us against other organizations. And so they have these set categories that they put the information in. Um, we do have access to all the comments and all the answers that were provided to come up with that category. So if we needed to make a deeper dive or anybody wanted to see that, a lot of it's, uh, it names names. And so we don't put it out on the dashboard. We have a, a confidential version of the dashboard that are uh, previously called HR business partners. Now I, the uh, employment consultants, I believe, employee relations consultants, I'm sorry. Um, they all have access to the confidential version and can pull that data um, for a manager or somebody that's looking for that information. We just didn't want to put it all out there so that everybody could see that everybody's complaining about Karen Skillman, right? Like you could look it up and see, oh my goodness, look at Karen. Um, so that's all hidden right now for the most part, certain people in HR have access and can pull that data if we want to take a deeper dive. But the, but the code for not liking Karen could be difficulty <laughs> with manager. And when we wouldn't have, all I'm suggesting is subcategories yeah. under a real broad category to yeah. help us identify approaches to this. Yeah, I think they have that in the data file that we receive. It's just not showing on the on this dashboard. Um, but we can look into, you know, changing that to, to see if we can add the subcategories. Yeah, and I think the purpose of knowing the stratification is then you can do something about it, right? So not purely just for knowledge for info's sake or dashboard sake, but it's like if we are seeing that this are these other trends that are showing up in each category. James, go ahead. Thank you. Um, Karen, I just wanted to ask, it's, I see the dates. <clears throat> it's the first quarter of the year. It's 7-1 through 9-30, and the number of interviews, 81. Do you have the whole number of people who separated so that we can get kind of a numerator and the denominator 
So 81 interviews, were there 90 people who left? Were there 140 people who left? 152. Thank you. I'm sorry, is that on here and I missed that or is that? I'm sorry, it's on the previous um, dashboard. Oh, Under the turnover, the it's here, the term count for this quarter. It's, so it's not in the same place. I flipped back to the screen again. Okay. So it was 152 and 37 of them were nursing. And then out of the 152, 81 people replied to our exit interviews. Um, and the average years that they were employed is 2.33. Thank you. Is that, is that what you're looking for? Yes. It was, thank you. Um, Karen, on our, on our journey with equity, um, are you able to categorize this by race, ethnicity, gender, in terms of who's turning over the percent turnovers or in, in different categories like that? No, we don't have that on this dashboard. Um, we we are taking those those requests that you're, you're coming up with and we will go back and adjust these dashboards. Um, so I believe that all of the dashboards now need to be adjusted to show you know, race and uh, ethnicity and um, that additional information when we first built them that was not added uh, but we do have a separate dashboard that's all about diversity which we'll show you but i understand that th it would be valuable to have it in in these ter termination dashboards as well thank you so we will uh take that and go back to the bi team who helped us build these and see if we can get them to add it we we have the data it's just a matter of putting it into these dashboards thank you Mm -hmm. And this uh, this is just telling you where the dashboards are. Uh, we have three right now for HR. They're, they were created with the business intelligence team. Um, they are on the intranet under the HR division. Uh, there's a banner across the top and the one of the blue boxes is about the dashboards. Uh, the diversity dashboards available to everybody. The turnover dashboard and the exit interview dashboard are limited to managers and above. Um, and we'll show you the turnover and diversity dashboards. Um, but this is where you can go access them um, for the organization. This is the turnover dashboard, same period from July 1 to September 30th. Um, and this is showing that we had 308 new hires during that period, 165 terms, and out of 165, 63 were the first year terminations, 23 or second year, and then the rest made it beyond three years. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> yay! <laughs> yay for longevity. Right. Um, and then this is just month to month. Uh, the number of uh, the blue chart is the number of terms and the, um, the green is the number of new hires. And you'll see we were quite busy with new hires uh, in September, <laughs> we had 125 new hires. And then this is the same information. It's just in a tabular table that you can scroll down and see by department. Um, again, the dashboards can be adjusted by department here as well, or by hospital or by um, strategic business unit, which is something we used before. Um, and our 165 terminations gives us a 3.13 turnover rate for the quarter. And so on the other dashboard, we would then take that times four um, to get our annualized number.
And then this is the diversity dashboard. Um, this is also out on the HR division site. Uh, this is as of the end of September, we had 5,540 employees, uh, 3,900 were female, 1,500 are male. Um, and then this is showing, there's many tabs on these uh, dashboards. So I've only provided a, a screenshot of one of the tabs. This is by age groups. And so it's telling us uh, the different colors across the dashboarders, the different age groups, 19 to 29, 30 to 39. Um, and then down the left side is the different ethnicities. Uh, the top part of the chart is actual percentages. And the bottom part is the actual employee count. Some people like the count and some people, we tried to make the dashboards <laughs> so people could get their information that they needed at their hands instead of having to keep coming back to us. But we still do much reporting when people need it a little bit more isolated from this. Are there any questions? Thank you for offering to do this gratification <clears throat> because sometimes the aggregate number can come down, but the disparity is just still increased still so for us to know which groups are you know are showing a greater trend or, or uh, would help us thank you very much to our hr team for that yeah. a lot of good information a lot of green arrows <laughs> we like green arrows <laughs> yes any other questions, comments, trustees? All right, with that, we will move to our next item on the agenda. Um, our next one is our AHS benefits updates and changes. That's Catherine and Shimon. Is it Shimon or Sh Shimon? Shimon, yes, yeah, thank you. Okay, I, I pronounced it right. Yay! <laughs> Hopefully everyone can, can you all hear me. This is Catherine. Yes, Catherine, we can hear okay. you. Good evening. Wonderful. All right. I'm I'm you'll see there's actually two of me online. One is video, the separate one is audio. So I just wanted to make sure that everything was coordinating. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. Okay. Hopefully everyone can see this our screen uh, here. Yes, we can see it. Great, lovely. Um, so what we wanted to do this evening was provide an update from a standpoint of benefits activity at AHS. And mostly we'll be covering um, the open enrollment in the upcoming 2024 year. But in addition to that, we actually also have some other items with respect to our retirement uh, programs and our whole life policies that we wanted to provide a brief update on as well. So with respect to um, general benefit updates, we do have two activities actually occurring right now in addition to our open enrollment process. And one of them is the completion of the transition of uh, Prudential to Empower. So a lot of you who are participating in those retirement programs will see that um, we are uh, in an active transition uh, upcoming beginning uh, tomorrow uh, through the early part of next week to fully transition from the Prudential um, provider to the Empower um, provider platforms. So that is in, is in full sway. There uh, will be upcoming additional communications as the organization goes fully live on the Empower platform. So I thought that was important to mention. In addition to that, another activity that we have going on um, is a transition to a direct pay opportunity for individuals who are currently in our Transamerica Whole Life grandfathered um, uh, policies. 
Um, so the organization from a transition perspective held on to the premium uh, payment for uh, participants, um, but we found that um, there were, you know, candidly some um, challenges from a timing perspective. So moving to a direct pay uh, procedure will uh, allow that premiums that individuals need to pay are paid in a timely manner. We'll give them more flexibility. So that actually went effective as of October 1st. There were communications to participants in that plan. And um, the first contributions um, actually, uh, or the last contributions off of their payroll occurred at the end of September. And uh, participants will be hearing from Transamerica. So these are some major changes from a standpoint of just providing, I would say, sort of improvement and enhancement to these two programs that I thought was important to mention. Okay. Any questions? Yeah. yeah, any questions? Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. And so with respect to our health and welfare uh, benefits, as we know, we are in a, uh, on a calendar year um, benefit year, which means as of January 1st, our new um, benefit programs or benefit premiums will go into effect. And to support that activity, of course, we have our op annual open enrollment, which is occurring now, actually uh, started on the 16th, so just earlier this week, and we'll go through to the end of, of next week. And with respect to all of our plans, this following slide shows all of the different coverages um, that we have and types of coverage that we have as part of our health and welfare benefit offerings. So as you can see, it really is quite rich, both from the standpoint of medical, pharmaceutical, dental vision, um, life, AD and D disability, our EAP program, um, as well as tax favored accounts, funding of FSAs. Um, and additional benefits, critical illness, long-term care, et cetera. Those are some that are particularly popular among our um, employee um, our employee base. So I wanted to go in and go through and provide an update from a standpoint of those areas where we are going to be seeing changes as of 2024. And as you can imagine, um, things like medical, dental, and vision, you know, are typically areas where we will see some change. And certainly there's been a lot of press, if you will, from a standpoint of cost impact. Mm -hmm typically with regard to medical. So I wanted to present sort of some of the changes that we have there, and then also provide an update from the standpoint of enhancements that we've made to our supplemental and critical illness and EAP programs. So with respect to our medical um, insurance, we have, of course, our self-insured health comp anthem plan. Um, as mentioned, it is self-insured. And from the standpoint of um, the 2024 year, we're actually going to see an 11.2% cost increase to what we call the premium equivalents. Of course, as mentioned, it's self-insured. We have to do modeling. We do need to fund the plan to cover anticipated costs and all of that's done based on actuarial analysis. But when it comes to the employees, they are actually not going to see a change to their premium because it, these are zero contribution rate plans. Um, and I'll go in, I'll, I'll provide some additional um, insights and perspective as it relates to sort of broader trends in the market um, after we after I cover off on, on the different changes. Um, and, and I think the other thing to mention with regard to our Anthem Health Comp plan is that there have been no plan design changes for our 2024 year. And again, you know, we can talk a little bit more about content later on. But high level, the messages for 2024 with respect to our self-insured plan, we will see an 11.2 cost increase to the premium equivalents. However, from a standpoint of participants, they will not see a change in their, in their premium rate. Meanwhile, with our fully insured plan, which is our Kaiser plan, um, we have three, um, three, uh, three different types, what we call our lower, mid, and our high. These are fully insured as mentioned, and as a result, we, do, we also see increases there 
Um, the low plan is a zero contribution plan. So in other words, an employee or a participant in the low plan will not be seeing a monthly premium. Um, there and and so um, so consequently, there is no change to that rate from an employee perspective. Although the organization will be seeing a 21 plus percent increase for 2024. And again, I'll go into sort of the analysis of that after we go through the changes. From a standpoint of the mid plan, we are going to see a 16.4 percent change to the employee premium, and the high plan will be a 17.6 uh, percent change or increase, I should say, to the um, to the employee premium. So overall, from the standpoint of our Kaiser plans, it's a 17.7% increase. The message I did want to share on this is when we were originally presented with the increases for 2024, they came in close to actually 30%. So we worked very closely with Kaiser from the standpoint of reviewing our utilization, areas where we perhaps have overutilization or underutilization to make sure that the plan design was really appropriately structured to resonate, if you will, and to support the um, the, um, the the care needs of, of participants. And so there were some changes that were made to both the high and the mid plans from the standpoint of the deductible, the out-of-pocket max, co-pays and co-insurances, just some tweaks again to better align um, and, and, and to better resonate from the standpoint of need. So why pay for coverage, in other words, that's not being utilized? So that was the analysis that was done. From the standpoint of the low plan, we were required to make some changes to the deductible just to, to assure our regulatory compliance. So very high level, that's what we're looking at from the standpoint of cost. And as you see from the standpoint of the actual, um, the actual design itself, um, uh, we've highlighted those areas that will be, um, if you will, impacted by, um, by, the, by the design changes. Um, one of the other items that I did fail to mention on the earlier slide was um, there was a lot of discussion from the standpoint of offering um, fertility insurance. So a lot of analysis was done there. Um, the decision was ultimately, uh, or the recommendation was ultimately to include um, fertility coverage um, in the Kaiser High Plan. It is fully insured. They have a uh, they have a very very well, uh, if you will, built out and robust fertility care um, center. Um, they're definitely provided governance um, and certainly the most generous, I would say, offering, um, while also assuring um, the least sort of out of pocket impact to individuals who would be pursuing that coverage. Um, so there there was a, a change there as well. Okay. And then um, from a standpoint of our dental plan and our vision plan, on the other hand, we actually um, were uh, dental plan, which is uh, self-insured as well. We are not going to be seeing any cost increases. So again, it will be static through 2024. Um, activity in this area, however, important to mention was certainly concern with respect to participants in the Delta Dental Network. A lot of conversation, I think, for those who participate in our Wednesday CEO chats, definitely understand, you know, just the concern from the standpoint of our plan participants. We did go through an RFP um, and explored other providers who might offer larger networks. Um, and without exception, there was no network that had the breadth and scope of the Delta Dental Network. And those other options actually came at a higher cost. So it turns out in the current state of dental, sort of the dental network dynamic, if you will, um, Delta Dental continues to be the best option for the organization. Of course, we continue to monitor. We have an excellent partner in our, in our, in our outside 
broker um, broker vendor, and we continue to monitor. Um, but as it stands now, the Delta Dental Network continue to be the best option for our organization, and also provided us without without the need uh, to do any any increases to our premium equivalents for the 2024 year. Um, and again, uh, we have uh, some of our options under the Delta Dental do not require an employee contribution, but where there is an employee contribution, employee premium contribution, those rates will not change. And also there is no plan design change for 2024. So um, I think that was that was really positive news. I, I think for those who have, who have providers who exited the Delta Dental network, I think somewhat, um, somewhat consternating, um, again, Providers leave, providers re-enter, um, and I know you know. I've, I've certainly had had anecdotes shared of, of of individuals who've had you know their providers leave, um, and and there, sometimes there's an impact, sometimes there's not. So um, we definitely want to continue to get the message out to you know to our participants, you know, to really you know proactively partner with with their providers um, to you know to assure that they have ongoing care. And with regard to our VSP vision plan, we actually are going to be seeing a 6.8% reduction um, to the premium rate. And um, that will be passed on to prime members and there will be no change in the, in the plan design um, for our VSP vision plan. Um, and so just to summarize from a standpoint of cost to employees, um, this chart on the right shows actually what we're looking at from a cost perspective as it relates to you know, our employees or plan participants. So as mentioned on our Anthem Health Comp Plan, there is actually no employee contribution. So again, that's that, that remains static, even though the organization will see some increases. Our Kaiser Low, again, that's a no contribution um, plan option for participants. Our mid and our high, which are um, continue to be very rich plans, and I'll show you the, the, the data on that a little later. Um, we we will be seeing some level of contribution, candidly, not to, you know, I guess what you say, you know, um, spoiler alert, you know, our we are our, our plans are still remaining very, very generous as it relates to other organizations. And dental, again, as I'd mentioned, we have some zero contribution options. The buyout plan, there is there is no increase on that. And in fact, for vision, we'll see a decrease there. Um, the final comment, of course, these are based on, you know, 1.0 FTE and depending on <laughs> organization group, employee, uh, employee uh, type, um, there may be some variance to this number, but the, the essential theme remains the same. Those that are that are um, zero contribution from an employee contribution perspective as, versus those where we will see some modest increase. And with that in mind, uh, we wanted to also tell you a little bit more about some of the other plans and the changes there. And so um, to, I guess, provide a little bit of a change, um, Shimon will be walking us through that. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. That was great. Any questions before we move on to Shimon? Um, Taft and then Mark, you know, Mark and then um, thank, thank you. And I'm just wondering if we've done an analysis and some are going up, some are going down, most are going up. Have we done an overall cost analysis on the impact for our organization? He beat me. Because <laughs> there was an 11% increase on the freedom of choice and 21% on the low Kaiser. So yep. how much is that? Yeah, we I do have that data. I don't have that at hand here today, but certainly I'm, I'm able to you know provide additional follow up in that regard. And when did the benefits start? What what? Part? <laughs> Everything will go into effect. Every all of the uh, health and welfare benefit changes go into effect January first, twenty twenty four. 
Okay. So, so it's on a calendar have, year. Yeah, we would have a six-month impact in this mm -hmm. this fiscal year. So to know that would help us budget for next year as well. If you, if yeah. you yes, you could yeah. bring that forward. That'd be great. Yeah. Sure, we can. We did meet with just so you know finance yeah. throughout the time because we had really big impact initially in like the beginning of the summer. So we did forewarn them that we we're going to have these huge increases. So there is communication between HR and finance. And we actually thought the Kaiser increase was going to be a lot higher than what it ended up being. Right, and I'd like to give kudos to Shimon and Catherine, who actually went into the plan, massaged the numbers, looked at the services, looked at the out-of-pocket, and had to make some adjustments to get the, the increases to be a little bit less onus, so there was a little bit more for the people who were actually utilizing those benefits, right? So if you are going um, to get this, like the fertility benefits, because we did promise our residents that we would embed, and they actually listed the services they wanted. So we had to go in there and actually, you know, elicit those services from Kaiser. Trustee, Do you think these changes in structures and fee uh, adjustments would possibly bend more of our employees towards coming to the inside, the freedom of choice? Or, or alternatively, or related, what percentage of our employees actually choose Kaiser versus our internal? Catherine or Shimon, do you know that number? It's it's the last I think it was about I'm gonna say roughly 50-50, not exactly. Oh, 50, 50. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Most, that it may not impact because the Kaiser low is zero for yeah. employees, and that's kind of the healthy yeah. So and then get it higher, you know, yeah. like you know, 50 or 75 bucks more sometimes. And I don't know if you, you feel comfortable, Catherine or Shimon, but you may want to comment like you know, we do see like what the population that goes to the Kaiser plan, especially now that we have fertility benefits, they're going to, you know, people that are younger that may have those issues, of course, or they think they could have those issues are going to go to that plan, right? Yeah, absolutely. I do anticipate some movement um, due to the fertility enhancement on that Kaiser option. Any other questions before I get started? No, it's all you, Shimon. All right. Thank you so much. So uh, just continuing the conversation around uh, changes and enhancement, uh, we're going to just briefly, just a high-level overview um, of the plans that you see before you. So that's starting with our supplemental life insurance. So in prior years, um, an employee's uh, guaranteed issued amount was tied to their salary. So an employee would have the option to sign up for as much as five times their annual salary with no questions asked. Um, because that became a little bit of a, an administrative nightmare um, because of so we have so much move, movement in our organization. And when employees move into new positions, of course, their salaries are adjusted. Um, and those changes are required throughout the year. Um, giving a guaranteed issued amount of 500,000 for a new hire coming into the organization um, is much cleaner and allows more flexibility. In addition to that, existing employees have the opportunity now during open enrollment to sign up for as much as 200,000 as a guaranteed issued amount to bring them to the maximum of 500,000. Anything over that amount would require evidence of insurability. So we thought that was a really good um, enhancement to our supplemental life plan, um, who is also still um, administered through Reliance Standard. 
Uh, our critical illness benefit um, was in prior years managed or administered by VOYA. Um, effective 1-1-2024, that plan is moving under Reliance Standard as well. Um, and just to mention some of the plan enhancements, employees will continue to, uh, to have a maximum uh, or be eligible for up to 30,000 on that plan. Um, for spouses, uh, the increase has gone up another 15,000. So a spouse would be eligible, eligible for as much as an employee. Um, and that would be 30,000 as well. Children are still receiving a $10,000 uh, lump sum payment on this benefit. Um, in prior years, there was a pre-existing elimination period um, that has now been eliminated from the policy, from the plan. Again, effective 1-1-2024, uh, there is no exclusion or pre-existing ex exclusion on this plan. Uh, as far as uh, reductions, there, uh, in prior years, there was a reduction at age 70. Reliance Standard does not require an age reduction at age 70. There are also some newly covered conditions, um, including occupational HIV and occupational hepatitis. That was not a part of the plan before, um, as well as our wellness benefits. So annually, employees have an opportunity to um, uh, complete an online application to receive a wellness benefit um, if they are basically taking care of themselves. If they go out for a wellness, some type of wellness screening, that could be an eye exam, a dental exam, um, just a physical exam. Um, they basically indicate what type of screening they've done for the year and will, they will receive a $50 payout. Now in prior years, it was $50 for an employee, $25 for a spouse, and no more than $25 for a, for children, up to four children. The new plan will include $50 for the employee, 50 for the spouse, and 50 for the children, up to a total of six dependents. So we're really excited about the changes with that critical illness benefit. And then lastly, our EAP program. So our EAP program um, has been enhanced. It's called the EAP Plus program. So in addition to our five counseling sessions per year, um, there are now an additional five online peer support group sessions. Um, and it's uh, again, for the calendar year. Um, so essentially an employee could max out their five counseling sessions and keep in mind those five counseling sessions are broken down by incident. So it could be, you know, five counseling sessions for depression, another five counseling sessions for, um, you know, anxiety or grief and loss. Um, so essentially an employee could max out there and receive those five online peer support group sessions. Um, in addition to that, the EAP Plus program offers a digital platform and once the digital platform is accessed, an employee has an opportunity to take a wellness, uh, a wellness uh, test or exam, if you will. And based on the score, um, the program or the platform will offer resources um, and, and, and ideas and counseling and, and actually help you structure um, what your need is or give you a structure for what the need is and send that directly to you. So that's that's very exciting. Uh, I'll yeah, just break yeah, yeah. and to be able to access additional online coaching and peer support groups for individual, you know, for separate issues. Normally it's just five period, whatever it is. So that's really good. Trust you. 
Yeah, I'm curious about the usage. It, I love that there's an ability to max out and then continue. Seems like people need ongoing help. Do we know how often the EAP is used? We actually do not have the level of utilization we would ideally like to see. It's it's really it's it's a very rich benefit that has traditionally been underutilized, um, and so one of the things that we you know we do have um, planned as we move into the 2024 years to continue, um, which actually brings us to the next slide. So um, you know, I, so I'll jump ahead. Um, you know, just to continue with having. Um, you know, this, the interaction uh, across the organization, whether it's on the stacks, whether it's having, you know, pop-up booths at the, at the various locations, again, to assure we have visibility, transparency, engagement, and access. So absolutely to that point, one of the things that we saw specifically with the EAP, you know, is such, such, a, such a rich benefit, we just don't see the utilization. Um, it's in the single digits. And so we absolutely, you know, are looking to partner um, with with Claremont um, to to assure that we have greater utilization, and that really comes to the next topic. So thank you for bringing us there. You know, really that the benefit communications and the resources. So you know, from a from a from a from a vision perspective, it is really making sure that there's visibility, transparency, understanding, right, as well as engagement and access in those programs. And so I was going to ask Shimon to also to walk us through because she's been so very very closely and, and you know and 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 factually familiar. With, with all of these, um, given the, the activity that we have going on with open enrollment the past couple of weeks. So it's uh, looking to have her kind of walk us through what all those methods are. Sure, sure. So for the first first time ever, we actually created a virtual benefits fair. Um, again, partnering with our, our broker USI to bring that, that fair experience home if you will. Um, so this gives an employee um, access to um, all of the things that they would receive if they were to attend our in-person fair. Um, there's booths, there are, and actually there's videos from each one of our vendors, in addition to all of the brochures and, 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 and flyers that we handed out um, in the per in the personal session. So um, getting some really good feedback about the virtual benefits fair. We have employees that are on leave, um, employees that are on vacation, they can access this. And this is one of the benefits. You'll see that there's asterisk mark next to a couple of uh, events here. Those events we plan on continuing throughout the year. So it will be adjusted. So again, the language after open enrollment ends, um, the language about open enrollment um, will be removed, but that virtual platform will still be available throughout the year. Moving on to our benefit vendor webinars we've had this year after year, but we had our, our USI broker uh, conduct webinars, just really getting into the details of every plan that's being offered and then providing a Q&A session at the end. Um, each one of the video or vendor webinars are recorded and they're posted on, the, uh, on our AHS Connects as well as our uh, benefit document section of My Passport. So backing up just a little bit, um, the general uh, webinar is conducted by USI, our broker. We also have Kaiser conducting a Kaiser-specific webinar and Health Comp, um, just focusing on our freedom of choice and independence plan. Um, another um, 
uh, tool that we've used. And this was first launched last year. It's the My Benefits to Go app. Employees now have access to all of their uh, health coverage and in, in information at their fingertips. So once they download the app, um, they can quickly, you know, go to their phone, click on that particular plan, uh, plan and, and, and receive a flyer with information, with the policy number, customer service number, website. There's also a feature there for an employee to um, save a copy of their insurance card. So they can take a photo of the front and back, store it in their phone. If you know they're at an appointment one day and they forgot their wallet, whatever the case may be, they can simply open up that My Benefits To Go app and have their, um, their medical dental or vision card right there at their fingertips. Um, another, I'm sorry. I said, that's great that, I mean, you usually don't leave your phone unless you're me. But, uh, <laughs> right. We all have our phones. And we just thought that was an absolutely. So also continuing that employee engagement, visibility, and transparency, we are working very closely with our PACE team, um, who is uh, helping to create um, ongoing communications on stacks. Again, that's under our uh, our intranet. And so every month we'll be featuring um, a benefit. As Catherine mentioned, our EAP program, it is highly underutilized. That is just an opportunity for us to really, really hone in on what those benefits are and featuring something every month, just an ongoing um, opportunity uh, to communicate all of the great benefits that we offer here at AHS. Of course, we have My Passport, which is our self-funded plan, uh, excuse me, our self-funded platform. Um, so employees are utilizing this uh, platform to go in and make their annual elections. As you all know, open enrollment is passive. Um, all plans will roll over with the exception of our flex spending plans as a medical and dependent care flex spending, and then our share of the savings program. But employees are all encouraged to go in, even though it's passive, they're encouraged to go into My Passport to take a look at what they have, ask questions, you know, take the time to go through that, uh, through My Passport, look at their current benefits, talk with their loved ones and decide what, what uh, changes they want to make for the new year. We, of course, have our HR Service Center, and we have a great partnership with them. Um, and then just ongoing communication back and forth about maybe new inquiries that are coming in, any type of additional information or changes that we have, we're passing, passing along to the HR Service Center. Um, they're doing a great job of triaging a lot of the inquiries that are coming in. And if there's something that needs to be escalated, of course, one of the team members will um, get a hold of that ticket and respond as quickly as possible. Um, then we have all of our virtual benefit information. Again, we have many places where employees can find that. That's our virtual uh, benefits fair platform. Again, AHS Connects, My Passport, all of that information is available and it will be ongoing. I also had the pleasure, um, I'm so excited about being back out there in the field and just visiting at every campus, but we had our in-person benefit fairs and this is the first in the last, I would say, four years where I've had the pleasure of going out and conducting uh, benefit fairs for our employees. Um, that involved uh, a lot of, most of our vendors actually came out. Some flew in, some were local. Um, a lot of great information. Of course, all of our employees love the free stuff. In addition to uh, great raffle prizes this year. In addition to that, um, we also, for the first time ever, conducted pop-up events. 
So um, at locations that were much smaller and, and that were unable to accommodate the large fairs, um, I literally, literally just went out just myself, set up a table, all of the great giveaways, ran the raffle as well, and just answered some of those um, more intimate questions. Um, um, sometimes I did a group presentation, sometimes it was just one-on-one -on -one, um, and just some coaching there as well. And then last but not least, our personalized mailers that went out in the open enrollment packets. Our open enrollment packets look, looked very different this year. Um, just trying to move um, our benefit offerings to the next level instead of having, you know, 15 to 20 documents stuffed into an envelope and mailed to the homes. We did one flyer that included QR codes. So most of us are using QR codes, you know, with the our handy devices. And so we thought it would be a great opportunity for employees to use those phones, quickly access their benefit information, whether it's a video or um, an actual flyer or brochure um, and, um, and just make it more user-friendly. And for those that are not familiar with using QR codes or not comfortable with it, they also have the opportunity to go into um, My Passport and um, on our virtual platform and to click on links that would take them right to that information. So um, again, all of the items that you see there with the asterisk marks, those are ongoing communications. Um, we're gonna continue to build. We put a lot of work and effort into just making sure that we are giving um, staff as much information as possible. Um, so I'll pause here and uh, just to check and see if anyone has questions. Questions? I just wanted to convey my gratitude. I mean, this is amazing work. And with and seeing the kind of changes you made to the supplemental life, uh, the critical illness, EAP, just, just such a thoughtful equity analysis that the people who were making the most also were, were getting the most. And this is like happy being able to create that um, more equitable benefit system, but just uh, rich. I come from other places and I'm like, wow, this is pretty amazing. So, and the ways you got a shout out today. So uh, at the leadership chat, so much deserved. Thank you for all you all are doing. Trusting And I'm gonna just support that and give compliments to making uh, this these whole benefits things more accessible because this can be overwhelming for a lot of people. And uh, uh, I heard a backhanded compliment the other day when I was in the in the break room. Some nurses were sitting there and, and said, "Took them long enough, but they put QR codes, and it's so great now." And, and so, so there, 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 there were definitely compliments. They were very happy about it, and they were all sharing the QR codes about it. So uh, I, I took that definitely as 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 positive steps. So congratulations. Thank you yes. so much. Thank I you. want to congratulate you all as well. I mean, we're, we finally have a public sector agency committed to the new century and the new <laughs> level. Our Alameda County is still a little archaic, but we're going to get there. <laughs> but, yeah. but yes, it's wonderful. And just to be able to add all the additional benefits, you know, with the supplemental life insurance and the, the critical illness and have employees be able to find information different ways because different people you know, or some might be technologically challenged and, you know, they can just go to the website and click on and see. Others might want to use the Q code, uh, QR codes. Um, all of our millennials, you know, they like to use their phones for everything. So thank you. It's very, very, very good.
and I appreciate all the effort that's been put into it. I know several months ago, uh, Lauren and I were talking, and it we I wasn't sure if, if she knew what all the benefits were going to be because it was just a lot going on. So for you guys to be able to drill it down and put everything in like this, along with the pop-ups and everything, was very nice. Thank you. Any other questions, comments? Just that that we are a public. Um, safety net institute and we use public dollars and when we give benefits we have to have like real rigor equity in the process and for you all to make those uh, negotiations and to see where the usage is how can we get the most I mean I'm just looking at how much the costs for healthcare on the employer side has gone up and it just it's I wish more people would see this part yeah. of the work that you do they would have a lot more gratitude. I would agree. Mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate that feedback. Um, definitely appreciate that feedback. Um, and interestingly, to the point that was just made with respect to sort of cost and um, and I would say investment, right? Investment in sort of the health and welfare benefits for the organization. I did want to spend just a few minutes in conclusion, just looking at our positioning as an organization as it relates to the broader market. Um, so I have pulled in selected benchmark data um, because again, we you know we have as as you saw a robust offering, a complete offering. We absolutely did a re review to make sure we don't have overutilization or underutilization, that our plans are equitable. Um, and so you know, with all of that in mind, how do our plans look as it as it relates to other sectors? And so um, what I what I presented, what I'm presenting today, um, that is data from a standpoint of industry data across hospitals or other health systems, organizations about our size, and then also pulled in uh, organizations that have self-funded health plans. But in addition to that, I had an, there was an additional study that um, also included the West region and organizations of a thousand plus, so smaller organizations. The reason I just pulled the one was the story from both cuts of data turned out to be the same as it related to our positioning the richness, can again, spoiler alert, the richness of our benefits as it relates to other similarly situated organizations. So I think that's a really important part of the story as well. So even with the change, with the changes that we've made to make some benefits richer, and then the changes that we made from the standpoint of the Kaiser side to kind of rein in a little bit, to add a little bit more discipline, if you will, as it relates to um, the, the offering versus the cost, wanted to show what that looks like as it relates to other organizations. So as we look at um, the plan design, plan richness, and this is, you know, again, very telling. So our plans, the plans in blue, this is um, with the, uh, uh, the, the reflects the average amount of total healthcare spend covered by the plan. So you'll see the AHS plans are significantly above all of the peer groups. So that is to say, you know, the offering that we have for these benefits is very, very rich as it relates to the broad, these other, these other analyses, whether it's hospitals, organizations of 5,000, 5,000 employees plus organizations that are self-funded or, um, or the West region. So we, we, that the story here continues to be the same. So again, I think really, really important as it relates to the value being provided um, to our employees. 
And the next slide um, shows the individual, the individual cost, the monthly contribution. So again, you can see we are way ahead General Tens, that is to say, for the employees, it's a much richer opportunity, right, to participate in our plan because the cost, the cost to the cost to, to participate is so much lower, right? We have our zero contribution and then our lower contribution plans versus the peer groups, whether it's hospitals, organizations of 5,000 self-funded, and as I mentioned, West Region um, and the smaller organizations follow this same trend. So we still, we're still in a very, very strong position as it relates to the value of our benefits um, to our employee population. And the next slide, again, it's the same story. So payroll contributions by plan type. Again, we're showing you know, very, very low contribution rate as, as it relates to the average, right? So as it relates to what we're seeing from a trend in these other organizations, we are still very, very generous. And again, it's the same story, total employee cost still very, very modest as it relates to what we're seeing. Um, when we did the analysis, um, uh, uh, as an example, to add fertility coverage, one of the decision points was going to a fully insured plan with Kaiser provided us the opportunity to implement a co-pay model as opposed to a co-insurance model. So as an example for that type of coverage, one of the things that we were seeing in the broader Bay Area and California in general was organizations, certainly our, I would say our peer organizations going more toward a co-insurance model which creates a much greater impact um, to the participant from the standpoint of cost sharing um, to pursue those services. So, you know, hence again, the picture here where the cost, um, the cost to, to employee are much more modest than we're seeing across any of those other sectors. I just asked, I'm not sure if you already said, what's the difference between co-pay and co-insurance? So a co-pay uh, would be, let's say a contribution amount for a service or a visit, whereas a co-insurance would be where the participants shares in that insurance cost. So a co-insurance model would be, let's say the individual pays 20%, the organization pays 80, or the, or the individual pays 50% co-insurance, which is what we saw in some of the self-funded design plans for fertility coverage in other health systems. An individual is paying 50% of that cost, the organization is paying 50%, the model that we've chosen for that type of coverage, for example, is a copay. So an individual will pay $40 for a doctor visit, or actually $40, I believe, for the specialty visit, $30 for the doctor visit. So a very different approach um, to, uh, to, 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 I guess, cost impact. Yeah, I, again, a, a great presentation. I have a couple of questions. Number one, do we have, and I'm sure we do, I just don't know what it is. Do we have a number, how much, the organization invests in benefits per employee at the organization? We have an estimate. And actually, an estimate. Catherine is actually looking at that. I asked, anticipating yeah. I get this question yes, at this venue. Happy but to, with please. the new numbers, I, I it's way over 40%, which is probably some of the highest in the industry. 40% of their salary? Yes. Okay. But we don't have the exact number yet. Okay. Wow. But so, we're working so, on it right so now. So understanding that, because I, I think it's, uh, this is just my opinion. I think it's an unfortunate circumstance that that uh, that employees, myself included, uh, sometimes forget about benefits. Benefits just goes into the background of your head, and you focus on cash comp, right? And you're you're not thinking about the richness of the structure, and perhaps the organization has bumped nine percent investment in each specific employee's thing, but the employee can't conceive or perceive of that because 
again, benefits are sort of like something over there that I don't really think about very much. So I guess my larger question to our leaders here is, how are we, how are we uh, normalizing these data that, that these are very rich benefits in this organization relative to industry? What, what are we doing for that part? Especially vis-a-vis -vis negotiations when people are going into negotiations. And there tends to be, my impression, a focus on cash comp. When there's so when we know the puzzle of compensation includes PTO, Benny's, and cash comp. So uh, just amusing that I'm throwing out there. Uh, as the position on the on the board, um, it would be great if you work with your your group to to do that. We board members can also be spokespersons for that as committee members. So this but is where yeah, the, this is where the data would help us. Leadership. Yeah. Yeah. All of yeah. that, like, wow, y'all have so, so you much want a to total brag compensation, about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what you're asking for, total compensation. Like, if you, there, there's technology companies out there that, that provide that for each employee upon hire. Yeah. They all come at a cost. But, I mean, one of the goals would be when we go to a new system, um, whether it's loss in M4 or a different system, because our system is, is legacy. It's about yeah. to be, you know, <laughs> obsolete, yeah. um, for better, for lack of a better term. We, you know, some of those systems do have the ability to com compute that in real time, like workday, and it would give you a total compensation. So you'd say, oh, I make 140000 but actually I'm making over two with all my benefits. Right. So peeling out that benefits part is really important because, again, I'm not involved in any negotiations. Let me be clear on that. But I can imagine, as Trustee Banerjee is saying, if we have, oh, you know, here's your cash comp, the actual benefits contribution is actually 6% higher than it was last year, would I think be a, a powerful piece of data. Yeah. Karen Skillman also wants to make a comment. No, oh, Just Karen. To, oh, yeah. Sorry, Mark. Sorry, Karen. I don't see your, uh, I didn't, I don't <laughs> see Karen. That's okay. I, uh, Karen, we, we do have a contract with the vendor called salary.com that we feed them a lot of our salary data. And one of the pieces that we haven't gotten to yet is to create a total comp statement for employees. Um, but broken like- Broken down, what, you mean, Karen? Excuse me? Total comp broken a total yeah. comp, but broken down by the subcomponents. Yeah, yeah. Pennies and cash. Yeah, it's just a lot to pull all of the data. Um, and so it's kind of gotten put on the side burner. But we do have the uh, the vendor that is willing to help build that. But we have to kind of go back in. So I don't know that we have to wait for a new ERP to do it. Uh, we just have to get it more prioritized and start working on it as a project. But we do have salary.com. Um, that we are sending information to, um, and we just need to work towards building a new process with them to create the comp statements. That was something Sheila Walker brought in a while ago. Mark. I think the industry standard, and I might be a couple years behind, is mm -hmm. 23 to 28%. Yeah. So if, you're at, if you're at 30, but mid 40s probably yeah. here is incredible. Yeah, I, think, I think what, I, Rich. what I'm backing into, Dr. Kett, is maybe that's our communication to the organization. Yes, sir. Yeah. We're at X. Here's what's normal in the industry, including the Bay Area. Right. You know, just some perspective on it. Yeah. And when, this is so important because I think most people, uh, I hope, but it's like when you're, uh, you know, advocating for the benefits, you forget your total salary. But when you're advocating for the total salary, you forget the benefits. It's based on where you are yeah. focusing on that time. But uh, just the fact that we 
we have we are able to do the when people get like Salesforce, look, Salesforce is doing this, or you see SF is doing that, is that many of those then come back to the same institution and get their care. So you're recouping some of the expenses that you have because you are able to do that. But when so many go out of the system, um, then the recoupment doesn't happen. It's only the expense that part that happens. The recoupment doesn't happen. So understanding the fiscal issues around it, of, you know, like uh, is so important. So then we don't demonize these things. Yeah, I agree. Oftentimes in in private sector, they're paid more, but their benefits are not as uh, <laughs> right and not as as generous and rich as some of our benefits. And so when you talk about total roll-up costs when you're negotiating contracts and things of that sort, right, you, you're looking at the total amount. And what our many of our employees probably don't know is that it's 40%. I know in the county it's about 42% in terms of roll-up costs. Um, so it, it would be nice to provide that information and just let them know that about 40% of your, if you add that to your total salary, that is your total roll-up cost, yeah. right? And, and comp yeah, 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 your compensation, yeah. not even, I'm not even talking about the PTO, yeah. because yeah. that's generous in, in and of itself. Yeah. So. I think that's why people work in the public sector. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course we want to serve, right. and we know we take a short on salary. Mm -hmm. I don't know what pay stubs look like at AHS, but in the city, county of San Francisco, it shows your total benefits <coughs> on the yeah, bottom Yeah, mine does too. And it's a constant reminder of how much the employer is contributing to your pay that, you know, you may not take home, but this is the overall cost of you as a worker. It says employee contribution and then employer contribution. Every so line is there. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And watching how that data changed over time would be great. You know, you know, uh, maybe Mr. Jackson comes forward with the data on one of his Wednesday lectures. As an FYI, the organization just spent sixteen million dollars more this year on benefits divided by fifty five hundred you do the math, right? And I think maybe there's opportunity yeah. there. And like you said, oftentimes employees don't really think about the benefits until something happens and then they want to know yeah. what they're <laughs> going to receive. But for the most part you know, you really don't think about benefits until as rich, you don't the think incident. About as no, rich, you yeah. don't. So thank you guys very much. That was a lot of good information. Yeah, that was awesome. Catherine, I don't know if you're finished or not. So yep, no, that, that was pretty much the message today. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments before we move to our next item? Okay. With that, we'll go to Health Path, Joyla and Joseph. It's on you. Hello. Good evening. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> so we are going to share our screen here. Can everyone see that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. So as you all know, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah. So um, <laughs> my name is Darla James. I'm the manager of operations for Health Path. Um, I've been here with Alameda Health System for the since 2015, um, and in my current role as manager of operations for the past year. And my name is Joseph Peters. I'm the manager of programs for Health Path. Uh, same as Joyla, I've been here for about seven years, working with the program since its iteration here at AHS. Yeah. 
And as you all know, Health Path is a career and workforce development program of AHS. And so our mission is exposing underrepresented youth and young adults in Alameda County to the range of health careers that are available to them. And we do that through internships and other work-based learning experiences. And some of this data may be familiar to you, you've seen it before, but just to give you a quick synopsis of our programs, uh, you know, it starts with that second bubble, Bubble the Hill program, which is our longest running internship offering, which you see is why we serve most students in that program. But when you look at the di diversity of the other bubbles in the continuum of programs, what you would see there is that, you know, we are really focusing on trying to outreach diverse communities, working with young men of color, as we saw, they were not really exposed to internships in high school and post-secondary to working with on-ramp students. We, our on-ramp internship is our um, community college focused internship, which gives uh, those uh, freshmen and sophomores an opportunity to gain some experiences that would, that they can leverage to help them achieve future uh, chances for jobs and additional internships, like our Gateway to Healthcare Careers internship, which uh, is our very competitive college level internship in which we partner with various departments at Highland Hospital and AHS generally, um, and uh, are able to facilitate um, internships where students are able to deliver, deliver on some projects. And then some of our other programs are also more focused on getting students or interns directly into work, the workforce. So we have our CNA Highway to Work program, our ER Tech Highway to Work program. And then we're also working on an endeavor with community health workers, uh, you know, as it's a very popular career uh, right now. We're focusing on building an internship and possibly an apprenticeship within a yeah, and just to add some uh, more context to our highway to work programs, um, our programming generally, we work with students who are in school um, and currently enrolled in college or high school. And so we also found that we want students to be able to attain these careers and not everyone is coming in or enrolled in school. And so our CNA to highway, our ER tech and our next level youth are for those students who are, who are not currently enrolled in school, they still have an entry point into the career field. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. So in early September of this year, uh, we began our alumni survey project in which we are cold calling alumni to determine where they currently are um, in the pipeline to a health career. Um, as if you ever work in education, you know, getting in touch with students is particularly difficult, um, which is why right now we're at 64 of the 1,855 uh, 1, students we've served in our HEAL internships. Um, so we've surveyed 64 students. Um, and just to uh, add some context as well, we've served 1,855 students in our heal our health path internships that are specifically based at Highland or AHS facility, but that does not include um, our affiliate programs who we've partnered with over the years where we've served two to 300 students in those programs, as well as our one touch um, opportunities where we've served about two to 300 students as well. Um, so yeah, so thus far we have surveyed 64 alumni a total of 31 of those alumni. So as we can see, 48% of those surveyed currently working in healthcare and 27% of those currently working in healthcare working here at AHS. And so, so far we have of the 31 alumni, seven who are hired in full-time positions across AHS 
and 10 who are interns who uh, were in our summer college internship who have been extended. Right. And so that they range from having been working as a health path intern for three years, all the way to currently um, four months. So in total, 17 students um, who are currently still at AHS. And so this is something we're very proud of. We want to highlight a couple of, oh, sorry about that. Highlight a couple of the narratives from uh, those students. So uh, starting with Amal and Jonathan, um, what's so interesting about these two is that, you know, they represent some of the first cohorts that we ever worked with when we first started building Health Path program. Amal uh, participated in 2016 and Jonathan participated in the HEAL program, our high school internship in 2016. And over the span of their four years in high school, they probably participated on multiple occasions, but, you know, we had a bit of a break with them from high school on uh, to post-secondary, but, they were so motivated and so impacted by their experiences here at AHS that, you know, they came back. They had they were intentional about coming back. And now, as you can see, Amal is an imaging aid radiology, uh, an imaging aid in radiology and imaging. And Jonathan is a registered dental assistant in at Eastmont Wellness. Yeah, and then we have Carmen, who came as who was an intern specifically for Health Path back in 2018, and since 2019, she has worked in um, patient relations as, a, and now she is a patient relations manager. And then Andre, um, Andrea, excuse me, who did our Gateway to Health Careers internship in the summer of 2022, and has since been hired as a labor relations assistant in the HR labor relations department. Yes, <laughs> that's great. Yes, um, and just for those of you who are on the chat today, Carmen is one of the folks that I acknowledged at the end of the chat. So if you recall, I mentioned that there were two people that I had an interaction with, and um, Carmen was one of them. Um, and I, frankly, I feel like they are they're the future for this yes, place. And so I didn't awesome. know that she was a health pad intern. So this is fantastic. I just know she's. Quite sharp and quite energetic. Uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Joyla. Oh, <laughs> and then finally, we have Vanit, who was in our on rent internship that I referenced earlier. He was actually in our cohort last year, uh, where he was able to participate in that internship for about nine months. The first half of that program, we focus on professional development, going over resume, interview skills, things to really uh, affirm them and allow them to leverage it when they get into their internship experience. Well, he took that experience, he uh, went into his uh, department where he was able to shadow and he was hired by that department in ambulatory adult medicine as a medical assistant. Um, and so he is working here now, We're very excited and very proud of him. That's great. You faded out a little bit, Joseph, in the in the beginning when you were talking about the need. So I, I don't know if you can say say that again. Just oh the, yeah. So I was saying, um, Benit was part of our on ramp to health careers internship, which is the community college internship I was referring to earlier. And so uh, during the first half of that internship, students work on their professional development, working on resume skills, professionalism skills, things of that nature. And then the second half of their internship, they're placed in a department. Benit was put placed in the ambulatory department, and then he was hired by the ambulatory department. And so we're very proud and very excited for him. 
Yeah, and I'd like to point out, so our summer college internship, we know is competitive. We get applicants from all over the U.S. And so the on-ramp to health careers internship was a direct response to the fact that after the first year of launching the internship, we found that community college students just were not making it past the initial phase of interviewing. Yeah. And so we sought that, we sought to help support and prepare them for that. And so that's how this internship was birthed. And so it's we're super excited to see that Vinit is our first hire that we know of from this internship. That's great. Thank you. Yes, and then training tomorrow's workforce. So through internships, we're hoping that you see the value in having students come in and intern with particular departments and be a value add to that particular department with the hope of eventually hiring, whether that's after their internship or several years after. And so to just talk a little bit about the benefits, uh, both for the system and for individuals in hiring interns, just highlighting that it can give current employees an opportunity to mentor future leaders in the field, um, promote health workforce culture, and um, build organization morale. We find that a lot of department managers or those who are overseeing interns in their department really build these close relationships with interns and help to mentor them, whether that's through um, just short meetings or however that looks for their relationship and even supporting students in going on to grad schools and professional schools. And then it's also an opportunity to offer a fresh perspective of AHS's day-to-day -day business and procedures and establishing and growing connections with universities and colleges, increasing the organization's visibility on campus, and an ability to recruit future talent. Yeah, so with all of that, we hope that you see the, again, the value added to the system. And sorry, um, we see hope that we, this encourages you to hopefully host the intern next summer. Um, information will be going out about that summer internship in early December, um, and it'll take place from June through August. And so hopefully, if you decide to host a summer intern, please feel free to give me a call or email. I'm happy to discuss if you have any questions, um, and hopefully you have an intern where you can show them the ropes, uh, do mentoring, and it's a value add to your department. Well, thank you so much. I, you know, I appreciate what you all are doing because a lot of our uh, young people don't really get exposed to um, healthcare and workforce development in the healthcare field. Oftentimes, when you talk to them about healthcare, they think of doctors and dentists. They don't think about the X-ray techs. They don't think about the receptionists. They don't think about the custodians. They don't think about anything like that. They, you know, finance or HR or IS or IT. They don't think about anything like that. They they strictly go to like, and doctor and nurses are amazing, but that may not be the field they want to be in, but they still may want to be in healthcare. So what you all are doing is amazing. And I hope that we get more participants next year. Can't see. That's right. Can't, can't see. James. I, um, I echo what you've said, and I would just, I don't know if, um, Joseph and July know this, but Ting Hong, who was one of the two students who rotated with administration last summer, has since been accepted to the USC um, graduate program for healthcare administration. Oh, and awesome. um, he is uh, coming, he and I are going to have lunch next week, I think, but he is doing great. And um, <laughs> another success story for, for HealthPath. Awesome. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Amazing. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments, questions? This is always such a highlight. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to point out that Andrea is on the Zoom. She is our go-to person. She's about to apply for a different job within HR. Oh, nice. And she has been such a great hire. She's been with us over a year and a half as a regular employee. Thank you. Hello, Andrea. We're happy to see you. Likewise, thank you for, you know, having us as interns be part of AHS. Like for me, I'm very thankful for all the opportunities that have came my way since I've now been an intern. And I feel so honored to be able to come back and serve my own community of East Oakland. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That's awesome. Any other questions or comments? Okay, with that, we'll move to the Chief HRO report. Lorna, you up. Thank you. Thank you for projecting my slides. My computer keeps going down for some reason, so thank you. So this will be very brief, because I know everybody's had a long day. Um, I wanted to go over some um, important details that are ongoing right now at this time frame in October. Next slide. So one is um, we just finished our online learning through our LMS system um, at the beginning of the month. And this our current completion rate is at 79%. Um, we have 21% incomplete learners um, of, for a total of you know, over 5,700. I will say a predominant amount of the incomplete um, uh, learners are from our staffing, our contingent workforce. So it's not our regular employees. Although having any regular employees that are not finishing their LMS records is problematic. Um, currently, HR is working with um, medical staff. If there's any, sometimes you know, medical staff will help physicians who work other places and also have to do their other online learning to crosswalk those competencies so they're not taking the classes twice um, where we can. Um, and we're going to be reporting out to our leaders tomorrow about um, the deficiencies that we have in the system. Um, just as a refresher, many of you um, may recall that what happens um, at, when we have people that don't are not compliant is um, they will receive a notice of intent to term, the 10-day notice, and then they'll be set for a skelly hearing if they elect to have a skelly. Usually what happens is when people get that letter, then they do their competencies. So. Funny how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a really big, um, you know, time commitment for the staff in HR. Um, last year, we had over a thousand letters ready to go. We had to complete. Um, and it's a lot of work. And um, so we're looking for creative solutions. And I know that Desiree and Ulysses from the People Operations Department have put forth some interesting ideas that they're parlaying to our union partners to see if they'll be agreeable. Instead of giving people NOIs, it is they, you know, they come back to work after the deadline and they're scheduled to go sit in a computer lab or in a place in their department to do their LMS. And if it becomes a recurring issue, then it becomes a discipline issue, right? Um, so that's something we're working on. I will say this with one caveat. I, I do get people that reach out directly to myself and probably Arlene as well um, that are on the floor that are direct patient giver, patient caregivers, and they sometimes say, well, I was scheduled to do it, but I was taken out for staffing. So I do know, we do understand that sometimes that's the case. And so we do listen to 
you know, our individual nurses and physicians, when that becomes an issue and we work with management to get to accommodate, to get them time to be able to finish their competencies. Most of these competencies are ones that have been assigned after our OLA department, Arlene and her team, Camille, um, work with regulatory. They're all required competencies, you know, Joint Commission, CEPH, CMS. Um, so it's not, you know, um, it's, it's a big undertaking, but it's not a whole bunch of fluff. It's actual, you know, concrete competencies that we, we need for licensing. Um, next slide. And then also in the same um, vein, I wanted to just show and highlight for you because I did get a question recently about performance reviews. Um, this goes you know, to our managers and above um, about them delivering performance reviews. Now, there are individuals, um, situations that happen like when you get an employee who didn't have a, a performance view last year and then you're doing their current year, so there's still a year gap because maybe that person has left. Um, but this is what our current rate of completion for performance reviews are. What this says to me is that we as a leadership team need to work with our leaders with, about accountability and getting these things done. This does become an issue um, with joint commission at times. Um, we do not correct the records in real time, meaning when they're here, the survey's here, we do not do performance reviews. Um, we go ahead and take um, you know, the deficiency. So but this is something ongoing that we're gonna be working for, working towards with our leadership group because we do need to increase the, um, the compliance with giving performance reviews. And it's, employees feel like this information is valuable to their, how they're doing their job. Quick question. Sure. So performance reviews, uh, what does Joint Commission say about it? Because if we can have these kinds of numbers year over year, it must be a pretty low level deficiency. Well, no, that if they see a trend, I mean, I, I will say that it, it's been mentioned in some of our prior um, joint commission reviews, but usually what we see is maybe it's this year, not last year, or it was last year, not this year, you know what I mean? So it's not a year over year occurrence. Those things really do stand out. Um, so, you know, and, and also it, to thread the needle a little bit further, sometimes people go on leaves of absence, your, you know, your due date for your compliance, your performance review will be delayed by that date. So they do mention it. It used to be a huge focus. I don't know if any of you remember. It used to be a huge focus with the Joint Commission. It's not so much anymore. It's, it's, they do note it. But before, you could get a type 1 for having a huge issue with performance reviews years ago. But um, again, um, I think that they are probably relying a little bit more on competencies. That's what we we saw this last time around, at least from the from the review that I went to for the um, the personnel files. They were looking at like, you know, if it, if somebody needs to have like sedation, did they get the training they need on an annual basis? Things like that. Um, but yeah, we do. We need to we need to have a huge push on getting in into getting our compliance rates to be at a more you know acceptable level. This is not acceptable. Is there any other questions? Yeah, and oftentimes performance reviews, the managers are pretty consistent about doing it when an employee is going to get uh, some sort of an increase or when they believe there's some sort of deficiency. Right. And I always share that, you know, performance reviews are meant for feedback 
and um, you know, training and guidance is not meant for uh, disciplinary issues. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit harder when a person's already at their top step because the manager knows that if they give them a performance review, they're not going to get anything necessarily. And so the manager just kind of, oh, you know, you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job until something happens. And then they call HR screaming, we got to get rid of them, we got to do this. So I think performance reviews should be good. I think that if there's a way we're working at the county to streamline the process for our managers, because we have the same uh, concern with managers not being able to do it. But if we can figure out a way to streamline the process and create more of a, a narrative of five or six questions versus, you know, checking the boxes, it might be a little bit um, better and easier. They did a few years ago, and uh, I don't know if Karen, you want to add anything. They did change the performance reviews. It was a little bit more onerous before. Um, they made it much more simpler, um, but we still have, you know, huge deficiencies. Yeah, that's thirty-seven percent. All right. Thank you. Next slide. Um, and so this is just a little update on union negotiations. We're still in progress with AHMG. We have made some progress recently, so that's good news. We are still um, in uh, talks and discussion with UAPD. That was delayed due to the state of California bargaining that they were doing. I was just gonna say, weren't they supposed to start? We were supposed okay. to start months ago, but she had to keep delaying because she was at the table with yeah. the state of California. Okay. Um, we were also um, slated to start in August with CNA, and they had agreed to merge the contracts, which is something we both want, um, and get synergy around some of our pay practices and provisions. Um, however, they have delayed, and now they've come back and said we'll start in November. Um, and then, sir, we, we've been having posts meeting, meeting confers about the fertility benefit because that was a, left as an open you know, um, side letter. In the agreement because we didn't have the numbers for the fertility cost until you know september late august yeah um upcoming we have a huge onslaught you know a majority of our employees at all the hospitals um their contracts open up so that's core that's fairmont highland and san leandro um all three open up next year um seiu has let us know that they've already picked their bargaining team, so they already have the names and already asked for release time, so they are prepared to go. Um, lastly, uh, the next slide. This is a little bit more from what um, Greg shared in the dashboard. Um, we didn't get into the location, right, or the position of, the, of where the injuries are occurring. But this was kind of more about the injury cause. And if you look at the forward on today's agenda, there was notes about it from the July meeting that there was some questions about the cause. And so this is a pie chart kind of outlining um, the different types of injuries um, that the organization has had um, from in the last quarter. So if you have any questions, we still have esteemed Greg on the line who could probably answer those for you. Yeah, I'm looking at it and I see that the strain or injury is, yeah. is the biggest portion and then you you fall to the, uh, I guess it would be the struck or injured by. And is that where a, maybe a patient or client has struck someone or what does that mean? That, that's right. So the, 
So the 41% is strain or injured by, those are typically patient handling related injuries. Uh, so somebody's trying to help somebody sit up in bed and incidentally it hurts their shoulder or back. That's that's typical of that injury type. For the, for the struck or injured by, you're right, it is typically a patient to employee assault of some type and varying degrees of severity, but that's typically what's occurring there. Okay, and then the fall and slip, that's where maybe, you know, one of our um, staff go in and try to help someone, they might slip and fall or try to- Correct, maybe there's a wet floor that they weren't aware of and there's they're unfortunately slipping and falling and hurting a, some type of body part. Mm -hmm. Quick question, how do these percentages correlate with the workman's comp numbers we saw? Do we see 100% of reported injuries resulting in a correlation on workman's comp filed claims? Or do we sometimes have people reported injury not make a claim? I typically see employees file claims and I always, I encourage employees to file claims because we don't we don't want to miss that particular injury in fact i will talk to an employee now and again if they're resistant to filing a claim because i think what happens is you know who knows what's going to happen a week down the road with that particular injury and then they're left not having filed it and and not having that injury covered for their and getting the treatment they're needing for that particular injury so we really encourage people to to file and that's a very small percentage that chooses not to thank you thank you Greg. oh trust uh, this is back to miss jones um uh the, thank you for that presentation the cna stanley and Alameda, you said we're going to start you're going to start talking in november when does that one expire at the same time as general seiu no Correct me if I'm wrong, Desiree. I think that is April 30th or May 30th. May okay. 30th, I believe. So your next your next six months are hard. Yeah, those five contracts all expired at the same time. So basically, all have. contracts are open right now in this month. Well, two thirds of the of the unionized staff. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a heavy lift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That correct, Lorna. SEIU all expires May the end of May. And 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 Alameda and San Leandro CNA is also right around that time. CNA expires December, end of December. Oh. End of oh, December. This year. Oh, thank you. Oh, got it. Oh. Right. Yeah. We asked them to start early. They initially said they would, and then they, they opted not to. Strategy. Yeah. We're, we're still optimistic. Um, we've had really, so, you know, as you've seen in the news, a lot of places have had lots of issues with CNA. Historically, other than the strike that happened. CNA negotiations for this health system have been pretty not, you know, there's not been big issues in the past. You know, even prior to when I came here in 2015, my predecessor, Dick Dotson, never had an issue with CNA. Okay. Um, so we're we're pretty optimistic. Well, Godspeed to you. <laughs> 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 
Well, the good news is we have a pretty good relationship with our general nursing unit and SEIU as well. So um, we're, we're very um, grateful for that. And we've done a lot of work since 2021 to get us to that place. So. That's great. James, you're meeting with yeah, everyone. So, so yeah. strategic and Thank important you. to do. Yes. When people feel like our CEO comes in, he escalates so many things. I hope so. That's my intent. <laughs> Sorry, I'm always thinking in the weeds, trying not to. Ms. Jones, is it, is it sort of industry standard to go for a three year? Does anyone do four years? I would love I mean, four years. We just years. finished this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, organizations love, management side, we love to have four years. Out. In the labor world, we okay. say you have to pay for it. Okay. Right? Got it. So, you have to pay for it. And usually, there's, you know, you, that means you have to have a lot of dollars to be able to get that fourth year. You have to buy it. Because there's a lot of unknowns. I understand the union's point. It, they don't know if there's going to be a huge influx of inflation, yeah. um, you know, what the landscape is going to look like. And so yeah. they're pretty hesitant to commit yeah. to that period of time. But yeah, I have done four years before, especially with nursing, yeah. if you can afford it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and if you can develop some sort of formula for that fourth year, that will be lucrative. But usually three years, too. Sometimes two years, but three years is the average that okay. most people do. Yeah, most students will do. Well, thank you, Laura. Back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, is that yes. it? That was it. It was oh, short and sweet. Excellent. So, um, trustees, do you have any comments or <clears throat> to our executive team? Do you have any comments, questions? Excellent reports. Thank yeah, you. great reports. Thank you guys so much for presenting. It was um, very, a lot of good information. Um, a lot of things that are going to definitely benefit our employees here at AHS, and we appreciate all of you. So, Ahmad, do we, I mean, do you, ha you have anything? No? I don't. Oh, I, thought, I saw you not. So, <laughs> uh, Ron, do, are we going to closed session? Ahmad, no, ma'am. No, no closed no. session? Oh, wow. <laughs> Look no at that, Look at that. What time Keeping is? it right under two minutes. <laughs> it is 6.55. Thank you guys so much for um, getting on and presenting to us and taking time out of your evening to spend time with us. And with that, we will adjourn and say have a good evening.